In this week's Big Tech Show, we talk to the Dublin startup that wants to help big companies stop making stupid, embarrassing mistakes with their AI, such as telling people to eat rocks as part of a healthy diet. Basic definition of hallucination is say, stating something very confidently, but in fact, it's factually incorrect. This AI technology is very good at stating something very confident, mimicking human-level confidence, but then they could be factually incorrect. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by trichologist Claire Fulham, chatting all things hair loss. I remember then going, I'm losing a bit more hair. Like, I could see hair everywhere. It was all over my desk and work, everywhere. So I went to my GP. She found five big patches on my scalp, one the size of my fist. So I was like, right, what am I going to do about this? Give me a plan. She just looked me dead in the eye and said, there's nothing we can do. I went on a list for dermatologists. She had a cancellation and she very quickly said, yes, you have alopecia areata. As ever, available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, from Ibiza parties to South American prisons, the story of the Peru 2. The two women accused of smuggling drugs into Peru appeared in court again late last night. Michaela McCollum from Dungannon and Melissa Reid from Scotland have now pleaded guilty to drug smuggling but claim they were coerced into carrying the drugs. Michaela McCollum from County Tyrone made news around the world nine years ago when she and Scottish woman Melissa Reid were arrested in Lima Airport. The 20-year-olds were arrested at Lima Airport two weeks ago after £1.5 million worth of cocaine was found in their luggage. Peruvian authorities say the drugs were hidden in 34 packages of oatmeal and dehydrated food products. 20-year-old Michaela McCollum from Ireland and 19-year-old Melissa Reed from Scotland were about to board a flight to Madrid, Spain. Dubbed the Peru 2, the pair had £1.6 million worth of cocaine hidden in their luggage. The story that unfolded became headlines around the world and would eventually form the basis of a new documentary that has dominated the streaming charts. When we were being taken to a holding cell, um, we were all squeezed into this car. You know, we were, me and Melissa were actually sitting on the police guard's knees because there wasn't room for us all. We were so hungry and I was begging and begging for some food because we drove past a few chicken shops. Chicken shops are massive in Peru and... They didn't speak any English, but, you know, we were, like, doing chicken, like, back, back, because that's the only way we could communicate. You, you were doing the wings with yes. your arms? The lady who was in the passenger seat had said, you know, we'll get you food if you'll sing a song for me. So, yeah, I, I sang a song, Bruno Mars' lazy song. Couldn't, I can't even listen to him since. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Sarah Cadden, journalist with the Sunday Independent, to delve into the world of Michaela McCollum, from dancer to drug smuggler to published author and tabloid darling. So the names Michaela McCollum and Melissa Reed became household personalities almost. But what did we know about them before they became the Peru 2? Well, Michaela McCollum, we know an awful lot more about than Melissa Reed. Um, obviously, here in Ireland, because she's from Dungannon and County Tyrone, you know, we'd had a bit more invested in her um, in the uh, in this whole saga. But uh, Michaela McCollum was a photography student in Belfast, and in the summer of 2013, she headed off to Ibiza to work for the summer. Well, I kind of thought Ibiza was a you know, warm and beautiful place. I'd heard, you know, quite a lot of good things about Ibiza. 
Um, and, you know, it was quite free and everybody got along and it was a really good place. And I got a job on my second day there. I ended up having three jobs in the end. Um, my idea was to make as much money as I can so you know, I can set up a life for me. And she has said herself, you know, she was going there for a good time. It wasn't, you know, for the hard work. And so she did the kind of jobs that you'll remember a Beath uncovered, the, you know, hostessing, the, you know, dancing. leafleting, mm. there was dancing. And, and there seems to have been a lot of partying. And Melissa Reid, who's from Scotland, was also in, in, in Ibiza that summer um, on a similar kind of, trajectory as Michaela and she was in Michaela McCollum was in touch with her family they have said like every couple of days she kept in touch fairly regularly they're a big family and um how we would have first even heard her name was there was a missing persons appeal um, in August 2013. Her parents hadn't heard from her in 12 days. It was quite out of character. Um, her sister said there was no they couldn't get through to her phone and she wasn't active on Facebook and they were very, very worried the Department of Foreign Affairs was involved. Yeah, so this was a genuine case of, uh, of she has uh, an Irish national being gone missing, basically. Gone missing. And, you know, she was in Ibiza. Everybody knew that Ibiza was, you know, what what might have happened to her at a party or might she have got lost or, you know, anything could have happened. And the first the family knew was she phoned her mother and her mother was desperately upset and uh, said, I thought you were dead. And Michaela said, I'm in Peru, I'm in jail. And her mother then fainted and the line went dead. The 20-year-olds were arrested at Lima Airport two weeks ago after £1.5 million worth of cocaine was found in their luggage. What the public would have known first was, I mean, anyone who was around at the time remembers the pictures of the two girls sitting side by side in, in Lima Airport. Uh, Michaela with what she calls in this new, uh, this documentary series that's just landed on Netflix, the most famous updo in the world. Sort of a Mickey Mouse bun, Mickey Mouse ears bun affair on the top of her head, uh, looking kind of uh, chastened in the airport. With their luggage around them. With this their was luggage. the perp shot, basically. Really, you know, young girls' luggage, you know, bright purple suitcase. And, and you the know. luggage displaying these packets that were yeah. packed with drugs. Yeah, 11 kilograms of cocaine worth uh, £1.5 million packed into porridge bags, which would be an unusual thing for two girls to take home from a holiday in Peru. And uh, they, I mean, apparently hand on the shoulder and come over here. And apparently the airport went wild, you know, security screaming, coca, coca, coca. And that was it. They knew they, they were done for. What do we know about how they ended up in Peru in, in the first place? Well, Michaela McCollum has written a book since her release from prison in, in Peru. And in it, she uh, explains that she was having a good time in Ibiza. She was partying hard. There were drugs, there was drink. And at a party one night where she says she had taken acid, she met a guy called Davy, who convinced her that it would be a good idea to carry a parcel for him. Now, she thought she was taking a parcel from Barcelona um, back to Ibiza, um, but that wasn't the case. But she knew what the parcel was. She has said, I knew it was drugs. I just didn't know, you know, how significant an amount and, and, and she also didn't know it was coming from Peru. She thought 
that Lima was part of Spain. I was very naive. I was so young, very insecure. A lot of times I didn't know how to say no to somebody. I kind of just followed along with it. Yeah, so she knew that she had been recruited as a, a drug mule. Yes, but like any time you see Michaela McCollum talk about this, it's really obvious that's not how she frames it in her own head. She, you know, very much looks back and thinks I was young and I was stupid and I let myself get drawn into this and I had no idea how huge it was or how awful it was. Mm. It was a lot of cocaine. It, it, it was, for, even even for somebody who was stupid and young and, and, and naive. So the... The two of them, they don't actually know each other, though, ahead of ahead of all this. They're not they're not friends in Ibiza. They're not friends, but they seem to have been part of the same, same kind circles. of scene. And just, you know, I suppose when it's it's easy there even to to be critical of how blithely you could say she went into it. But I suppose if you, you know, contextualize that, that she was living in Ibiza for a summer where she would drug taking all around her, regardless of how she was behaving herself, these things become normalized. And of course, you must be bumping into people who are dealing on grand scales, small scales all the time. And I suppose you could say the lines become quite blurred. So the two of them jet off to Lima and they don't just arrive and, and come back. There's a, there's a backstory here. Yeah, I mean, you know, they there's have a to of stories, play yeah. out the, the drama. Uh, now, she didn't know until she got on the plane that she was heading to South America. She saw, you know, the little map with the arrow pointing to South America and thought, oops, Lima's not in Spain. So they had spent some time in an apartment in Mallorca uh, to kind of set themselves up and kind of, you know, for the trip. And uh, so the two girls would have got to know each other a bit then. Then they're on the plane. Then they spend a week in Peru uh, around Lima, seeing the sights, you know, turning it into what can easily be portrayed as a holiday. So they're backpackers effectively over from Europe. Exactly. And then the bags are packed for them, apparently, and they head out to the airport. Yeah, so drug cartel meets up with them packs these porridge bags yeah. uh, into their bags and not the the Peruvian authorities are not that, that dumb to fall for this one. This man tapped me on my shoulder and pointed to a room, you know, next door and asked me to come. So that's kind of when I thought, oh my goodness, like... So when I went into the room, they already had Melissa's case opened and um, they and instantly they seen all of the bags and they knew, you know, you're not coming to Peru to take home 20 packets of porridge like this is not, you know, and they, you know, opened it and tested it for, you know, cocaine and it came back positive and the whole room just erupted because they were so happy that, you know, they had caught, you know, such a big smuggling that morning. So um, instantly the room went from five people to, you know, like 30 people and everybody was shouting. And Yeah, and, you know, the, the, this isn't, I mean, it's not that it's commonplace, but this is what they're on the lookout for in Lima. And two girls, who knows how nervous they were, who knows how kind of, you know, uneasy they seemed about everything, but certainly they drew attention to themselves in some way. Yeah, such that the authorities... Uh, <laughs> happened upon them uh, yes. as such. Where do we go then from the point where we now have the Peru 2 are 
now internationally known uh, as much for their for their appearance as as what they've they've been caught for. And how does it progress from there then? The girls were working in bars in Ibiza when they said they were forced to become drug mules by an armed gang. Their lawyer said they are pleading not guilty to the charges. What I mean, that's exactly the whole point about this case is that at all times uh, the girls were under threat, they felt under threat, even when they were on their own. Well, they originally told the police that they had been held at gunpoint and, and threatened, their lives had been threatened, their families' lives had been threatened if they didn't carry these drugs. Fairly quickly, that that falls apart. And the maximum sentence they're facing when they go to trial is 15 years. But they do a deal whereby they give information about the cartel to the authorities and that's reduced to six years and eight months, which, you know, in her case, she just turned 20. It's a long time. Um, But they were originally uh, in a kind of temporary prison and they moved to uh, Archon 2, which is a maximum security prison in in Lima and notoriously violent, um, you know, a lot of kind of sexual crime within the within the prison and like pretty disgusting conditions, overflowing toilets, insects everywhere in the night, obviously unbearable heat. I mean, we were sharing a room with up to 100 other prisoners um, in one cell. After a couple of months, you forget, you know, you kind of realise that you don't have any privacy. I mean, having a shower, you're having an open shower with everybody else watching you and doing going to the toilet, it's the same. So I think after a few months, you kind of weirdly think that's okay. She uh, did write a lot in her book about how she feared for her life for the first few months that the cartel would would come for her because she had given information about them. How does she get on as such or how does she she get through uh, this period in prison? Well, you know, it's funny. It's always the Michaela story because we know pretty much nothing about Melissa Reed in prison. But Michaela... um, you know, had what you might call a rags to riches kind of story in prison where she started working in the beauty salon in the prison. She seems to have been earning quite a bit of money when she was doing that, enough to pay someone to clean her cell, clean her toilet, which apparently was a pretty disgusting job. The toilets there were the, the you know, were terrible. Um, and she, there, I mean, I've, I've even read that she became a was voted general coordinator in the prison, um, which meant she had control of the TV, phone and uh, shopping budgets. So she became quite uh, like an influential person within the prison, which is pretty remarkable for an extremely young foreigner uh, who initially did not speak the language. Yeah, so arrives in a strange country and yet she, she basically, she adapts to prison life. Yeah, and it sort of seems to embrace her. Um, And, you know, she can tend to kind of portray this as, you know, I was sort of redeemed. It it all turned out okay, but it was still awful. Still feel sorry for me. So, you know, there have been a lot of pictures around of that she would have sent to her family when she was in prison of, you know, birthday celebrations or this and that. And she's like, oh, you know, I had to tell them that I was okay. I wanted them to know I was okay, but really it was dreadful. So there's always this pull in two directions with her when she tells her story of kind of a, am I great? angle and then also oh poor me 
Yeah, there's a way of, I mean, let's face it, no prison in South America is going to be a pleasant <laughs> uh, in, environment to stay. There's also stories about you can pay extra for, for better quality food. There's a story about chicken trying to get some, some food and being in a police van. When we were being taken to a holding cell, um, we were all squeezed into this car. You know, we were, me and Melissa were actually sitting on the police guard's knees because there wasn't room for us all. And we were so hungry and I was begging and begging for some food because we drove past a few chicken shops. Chicken shops are massive in Peru and they didn't speak any English, but, you know, we were like doing chicken, like back because that's the only way we could communicate. You, you were doing the wings with yes. your arms? The lady who was in the passenger seat had said, you know, we'll get you food if you'll sing a song for me. So, yeah, I, I sang a song. Bruno Mars lazy song Couldn't, I can't even listen to him since yeah I think that was early on when they were kind of going to trial and she was asked she, they were starving and they saw you know chicken uh, fast food outlets on the way there couldn't speak the language mind a chicken and the, the prison guard whose knee she was sitting on because the van was so small said he'd get her chicken if she sang him a song so she apparently sang him a Bruno Mars number and they got their chicken so, you know, it's like, oh, it was awful. The conditions were terrible. But look, I was great. I got up and did my Bruno Mars and we all got fed. And so she, she's a she's a funny mix of things and how she's always told her story. And the thing about her is she has pretty steadily kept herself in the public eye since her release from prison in 2016 or 2015, but back to Ireland in 2016. And why why were they re- why were they released early? So there were some there was some new legislation came in, in in Peru about early release. So she she managed to get um, released from prison, but she had to stay in in Peru for a time and then apply to leave and come back to Ireland, where it's thought that she kind of served out her probation and whatever over here. And like even that wasn't without controversy, not just because she'd been released early, but that she seemed to have been sharing an apartment with uh, a cocaine smuggler she'd befriended in prison. And there were lots of photos of them out in nightclubs in Lima and having a fine old time. And, you know, she was, she defended this, you know, saying it doesn't cost much to go out at night in Lima and we're not actually having a high old time. Um, But we deserve some you know, bit of fun after all we've suffered kind of thing. So the the two of them kind of start out as a a classic uh, scare story by the authorities of this is what is going to happen if Europeans come over here and think they can they can ship uh, cocaine back back home with them, you will be caught, you will be sentenced to long periods uh, in in prison. And then ultimately the, the story kind of, that narrative does kind of change. The penalty isn't as as severe ultimately uh, as is set out at the start. Yeah. And, you know, she has said when she had her book out, you know, she has said she hasn't profited from this. She, you know, she did one interview with RTE. She didn't get paid for that. She got plenty of offers of paid appearances and TV shows and, you know, interviews that she didn't do because she didn't said she didn't want to to make money out of it and she wants to raise awareness for younger people that you shouldn't do this kind of thing but she has lived what would appear to be a quite glamorous life since then and you know she's not shy in kind of looking for 
the kind of attention that is confidence boosting and ego boosting and makes, you know, gives you a profile. And, you know, her Instagram is very much full of uh, she has two small sons now and, you know, holiday, nice holidays and glamorous shots. And even, you know, when this Netflix, uh, when this BBC documentary series landed on Netflix um, at the end of last month, she featured on her Instagram with a cake with Netflix kind of candle sticking out of it. And the caption was effing celebration cake. And you're kind of thinking, how is it a celebration? You can't deny that she sort of seeks a degree of fame. She doesn't want notoriety. She wants to be celebrated. Yeah, she's almost a kind of a, a, a an influencer. <laughs> she appears like a you know a former contestant on Love Island almost at at, at this point in 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 that kind of space. Do we know where any income has come from so uh, over the past uh, number of years? When she had her book in 2016, You'll uh, Never See Daylight Again, you can watch still uh, an appearance she made on Good Morning Britain where Piers Morgan kind of gave her hell. Michaela, look, you were thinking, weren't you? I mean, you were thinking, I'm going to make five grand taking a load of illegal drugs out of the country. You knew that. And you knew it was against the law. Yeah. You knew if you got caught, there'd be heavy penalties. I mean, this idea you weren't thinking. You were 20 years old, you're not... Yeah, I wasn't thinking correctly. I should have actually thought. Well, you were thinking very correctly about lining your pocket with five grand to take one point. We didn't know how much cocaine, but a lot of cocaine out of a country. Every, I mean, even the most imbecilic person on earth knows if you take a load of cocaine out of a country like Peru, it's very, it's a very bad thing to be doing. It's illegal, and if you get caught, the penalty would be very high. I don't understand this. I wasn't thinking, but I mean, you were thinking. You you very carefully planned what you were going to do. You were blinded by the yeah. I mean, but I wasn't thinking clearly. I mean, five thousand pounds wasn't enough money for what I was being asked to do. And she said then that really she expected to get one or two thousand pounds out of the sales of the book. Now I've read elsewhere that she was offered up to three hundred thousand to write that book. It's hard to see what her income is beyond that she could be defined as an influencer at this stage. But again, it's it's that kind of are you raising aware? What are you raising awareness of? Other than Michaela McCollum. And at the same time, Melissa Reed never really heard from again. No, and apparently works in a homeless shelter in Scotland. She was released later than uh, Michaela McCollum and she works in a homeless shelter, apparently specifically with uh, people who are addicts. And we don't know anything about her, but I suppose when you hear that, you think that it's someone who may feel they want to give something back or make amends for what what they did. She apparently was offered £4,000 to Michaela's five. What next for Michaela McCollum? Do you see reality TV, um, appearances on on chat shows? Where where do you see her going next? I'd say there's a big difference between where other people see Michaela McCollum going and where she sees herself going. The more you kind of look at her, I think she has a definite sort of orange is the new black thing going on in her head. There is that kind of thing of pretty blonde girl as she is now in this awful prison. I feel she's thinking there has to be a movie in this. And probably lots of people have said to her, you have an amazing story. It's going to make an amazing film. And I think from what we've seen of her so far, 
that is probably something she sees for herself. Her name in even bigger lights. And my thanks to Sarah Cadden for joining me today. I'm Fionn Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from Netflix, CNN, RTE, Newstalk, On Demand News, ITV, Sky News, The Guardian, and Independent.ie. To hear more of our award-winning journalism, visit independent.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.